0: Good day, Forefront. We're so happy to have you in worship today. It's great to see so many people uh, in the house um, on this cold and chilly day. Thank you for choosing us for worship today. Um, Welcome to our virtual community. We have a number of people joining us online. I think almost about 30 folks I saw on YouTube. So thank you all for being here as well. My name is Rev. Vinita Rodman Jenkins. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm one of the co-pastors of teaching and community, and it is a joy to be able to continue our disruption series today. So what keeps you up at night? It's a familiar phrase you probably have heard during political campaigns. Uh, It's when people want to talk about those issues that are near and dear to their heart. Sometimes people refer to it literally. Sometimes they refer to it figuratively. I know I always kind of had questions about it because I was really trying to understand where people were going with it. I mean, if they were talking about it literally, then my assumption, a little judgy assumption, was that they really didn't trust God enough to handle their burdens. Like, why would you kind of stay up all night knowing that, you know, the book of 1 Peter tells us that if we cast all our cares upon the Lord, God cares for us. So if we're casting our cares upon the Lord, then why should we be staying up at night, right? And then I also believe that God keeps those in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. And then I was just feeling like, well, if that's the case, maybe they're not trusting God enough. And then something happened to me. (laughs) The stressors of life started creeping into my bedroom. The stressors of life started creeping into my bed. I mean, after my evening ritual, which is typically to pray with my partner, Tied, we pray together before we go to bed and then I'm out like a light. Well, sometimes we pray and then we have sweet communion and then I'm out like a light, right? Let's be honest. But the reality is it got to a point that the stressors actually crept past prayer. They started creeping past Calm Powder and my Calm app. Then I was trying sleep gummies. No, sleep gummies. And then meditative music, deep breathing, acupuncture, and even lavender tea. And it's not like I was thinking about these things right before I went to sleep. It appeared that maybe they were in my subconscious, and for some reason, I was unsettled and struggling with sleep. The uncertainties of life disrupted my restoration and my body's repair. And we know that we need our sleep in order to be restored and renewed to help minimize uh, disease and sickness, right? We need our sleep to keep our immune system strong. So the reality that I had to face was that the uncertainties of life were actually keeping me up at night. So, I can also recall a season of deep uncertainty. And it was a time in my life when I was part of a massive layoff. I was working for a publishing company for about seven years. It was pretty cool, decent pay, great benefits. But the work perks were unbelievable. Because I got to travel all over the place and throughout the Caribbean, throughout various parts of the United States, and these PR firms would take us on these press trips, and you know, press trips, they want you to write something nice about the destination and about the properties, so they rolled out the red carpet, right? So it was a really, really cool gig. And then one day, one of my colleagues came out from a meeting, and he said, oh, I just, I just got laid off. And we were like, what? And all of us were sort of like in this row together. And then the next colleague, we saw our manager come out and get the next colleague. And I said, oh my gosh. They grabbed a box, they got laid off. Now I'm at the end of the row and I'm like, oh no. So about five colleagues went before me and like some other folks in some other departments had already been laid off a couple weeks before. And I go in and there's the manager and who's in there but the HR person telling me that I'm laid off, had a nice severance, Um, they were setting up all these resources, Um, but it wasn't a good feeling, right? Now, to be honest, I had been at the job for seven years and I was ready to bounce, but I didn't want anyone to tell me that I had to go. You know, I didn't want you to tell me I had to go. Um, So there were a lot of feelings I went through, feelings of emotions, um, anger, sadness, vulnerability, I felt victimized. Um, My life had been disrupted. This was my source of income. I was also in seminary at the time, and uh, I was left with so much uncertainty. In talking to some of you and having some conversations, I know that some of you can relate to some of these feelings that I experienced. I spoke to uh, Rebecca this week. Rebecca is our virtual greeter. Rebecca tunes in from Brazil. And uh, she happened to reach out to me this week. I have permission to share this story. She shared with me that Rebecca got laid off from her job this week. So please, let's keep her in prayer. And I was able to encourage Rebecca with the story that I just shared with you. Little did she know that this was something that I was gonna be preaching on this Sunday. See how the Holy Spirit works. But we had a wonderful conversation and You know, this is how things work, right? Life is going smooth, pretty smooth, at a steady pace. And then there's some calamity, right? Um, A major life crisis, um, a great loss in our lives. Sometimes we can rally back from it quite quickly. Other times, it takes a while to recover. Uh, Similarly, um, as we experienced during COVID, right, during the global pandemic, during this massive shutdown, It has taken a while for us to recover from this disruption. And we know that even through all of these things, God continues to be with us. And as we think about all of these experiences we may or may not have, uh, we look to our story today, which is found in the gospel according to St. Matthew. So this story can also be found in Mark and John. And it conveys a story of uncertainty. Uh, For some, this might be a new story. For others, it's probably a very familiar passage of Scripture. And it highlights Peter walking on the water and then sinking. And then some individuals, as we've probably heard, claim that the reason Peter sank is because he took his eyes off of Jesus. And then all this attention is focused on what Peter didn't do. And I would encourage us um, to look further today, to maybe look at some other factors that may have been at play so that we can gain encouragement from the text. There were some other individuals, Jesus and the disciples, who were probably experiencing a crisis as well that I'd like for us to consider. Um, Jesus was going through a time of great loss in his life. His very dear uh, friend and relative, John the Baptist, someone who had paved the way for him, someone who had baptized him, had just been brutally murdered. And then we find Jesus withdrawing from the crowd to a deserted place. And when he had drawn away from the crowd, he was followed by masses of individuals. It's thought that these individuals who are following Jesus could have been followers of John the Baptist who were also mourning the loss of their leader. And while Jesus is probably grieving, he continues to do what Jesus does. He heals the sick, and then he also fed the individuals who were following him with a familiar story, five loaves and two fish. But picking up with today's story, In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it reads, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. So we see after Jesus sends his disciples to the boat, and then he sends the crowd home, once again, he withdraws to pray. And once again, maybe this is because he needed to set some boundaries to grieve. Perhaps Jesus needed to grapple with the gravity of his calling with so many people in need looking for healing. It seems the crowds and demands of his ministry were surging in the same way the waves and the wind begin to batter the boat the disciples were in that had drifted far from shore. Imagine, if you will, being in the open water during a storm and being overtaken by heavy waves and high winds. It could be a time of deep fear and uncertainty, like your very life could be in danger. Let's pick up at verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking in the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. "'Don't be afraid,' he said. "'Take courage. I am here.' Then Peter called to him, "'Lord, if it's really you, "'tell me to come to you walking on the water.' "'Yes, come,' Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, He was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. So here Peter is walking on the water toward Jesus. And then he begins to sink. However, he takes the opportunity to try something different. Peter, in that moment, took the opportunity to try something no one else had tried. In a sense, we we see disruption in a different way, where maybe Peter was disrupting his own insecurity. Maybe Peter was disrupting his own fear in an effort to connect with Jesus. And maybe the disciples who were in this scene as well, maybe they wanted to do something more. Maybe they wanted to join Peter, but perhaps they were panicking and they lacked the confidence. Maybe they didn't want to leave the security of the boat because perhaps they questioned their own ability to walk on the water. What I find in Peter's courageous movement is indicative of a growth mindset, the courage to see yourself someplace else, the courage to get out of your comfort zone and be transformed. Transformation is not always easy. Amen. Sometimes, we have to go through uncharted waters. Sometimes we have to admit the fact that we don't know everything. Sometimes if we have a growth mindset, we're able to take feedback and perhaps do something with it so that we can continue to grow. When we have a growth mindset, we understand that we can learn from anyone. When I'm in class, the first class I always tell my students, I have information to share with you, and I'm looking to grow because I want to learn from you as well. Having a growth mindset is understanding that we're all lifelong learners. And it's important to understand, if we have a growth mindset, is that perfectionism is unrealistic. Perfectionism leads to anxiety and depression. So I applaud Peter for trying to do something that he probably had never done before. Here at Forefront, we say that we are ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity. And I will tell you that that takes a growth mindset if we think about that seriously. Forefront had to shift out of his comfort zone when they moved to becoming a church that was affirming of the LGBTQIA community. While I wasn't here during that time, I'm told there were rough waters to navigate since it would mean losing a considerable amount of funding and congregants. But in a courageous act of faith, our founding pastor, Jonathan Williams, and the leaders of that day, during much uncertainty, decided to sever ties with funders who no longer aligned with Forefront's newly established values. That's a growth mindset. Forefront also continued to step into some turbulent and uncharted waters as we move towards equity, healing, and unity through supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. This resulted in several anti-racism initiatives, in addition to an equitable shared leadership model, the model that we live into today. That takes a growth mindset. Our church, even today, continues to persevere against strong winds and waves as we take action through the Palestinian Liberation Task Force, we continue to grapple with the horrific loss of human life, hunger, as well as the health crisis in Gaza. We appreciate those forefronters who flooded Manhattan for Gaza and marched for health care last Monday on the Dr. Martin Luther King holiday. We can clap it up. Amen. We are so very grateful for those forefronters who are already involved in these activism efforts and for those forefronters who actually called the leaders in by an open letter to ask for more conversation in this area, for more education, for more action in this area as a church community. And this group will continue to lead us in making a different difference, and they will help us discern how we can address the historical context regarding the current plight of the Palestinian people. It is also the hope of this task force that we can unpack the theological ramifications of our faith traditions while also holding tension with the harm of anti-Semitism. Romans tells us that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we are to mourn with those who mourn. Maybe mourning and the pain of this crisis and others are keeping all of us up at night. Maybe if you're like me, and if you're like Marvin Gaye, R&B legend, you just wanna throw your hands up and holler. That's what he said in inner city blues. And to be honest, we could sort of kind of rename it to our nation's blues or our world's blues. And the words say, oh, make me want to holler the way they do my life. Yeah, make me want to holler the way they do my life. This ain't living. This ain't living. No, no, baby. This ain't living. No, 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 oh makes me wanna holler and throw up both my hands. Yeah, it makes me wanna holler and throw up both my hands. God knows where we're heading. Oh, make me wanna holler. They don't understand. I had the opportunity during my time in New Mexico to visit Site Santa Fe Art Museum. And they actually had an exhibit by Nicholas uh, Gallinan, where he or they show us what decolonization looked like. They had an exhibit exhibit entitled, Take a Knee and Scream Until You Can't Breathe. When we came into the exhibit, they handed us earplugs because they informed us of how we were able to engage with this particular exhibit. And when I tell you what I heard about this exhibit, I got chills. I said to myself, I want to scream. I had attended a training last fall, and during one of the grounding exercises, we needed, we had an opportunity to scream, and I screamed, and I was like, oh, I need this. Mm -hmm. I needed to do it again. So I walked into that exhibit, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to scream. And I made my way through all the exhibits, and I said, I'm going to come back. But then once I walked into the room, I panicked. And I'm like, I don't want to scream. This museum is so quiet, you know? This is so embarrassing. And I started feeling so much shame. And I ran over to Todd. I think he was in the gift shop or something. And I said, hey, I'm going to scream. I need you to stand with me. I really, really want to do this. And he said, "Okay." So he followed me, and I took a knee, and I thought about all the atrocities, against people of color, and I thought about all the crises surrounding us, and I started screaming. And then Todd joined me in screaming. And it was so strange because my scream didn't even sound familiar to me because I rarely scream. And I felt a release when I screamed. And I felt like that's what my body was calling for in that moment. And sometimes the reality is we need, we need to have a good scream. Now, I thought about it for today. We're not going to do it today. Don't worry. <laughs> I know somebody is thinking like, I'm not going to do it. But I encourage you, grab a pillow, scream into a pillow, walk into the park, scream. Screaming gives voice to our emotions. Screaming helps to reduce stress. I had so many uncertainties in my life. And as I mentioned, the job loss was a big one. And while it seemed like my plans were unraveling, as I look back during that time, I now see that maybe God's plans were simply unfolding into a beautiful mosaic that had yet to be revealed. I truly believe that God's love and grace were at work that entire year in a very unconventional way, even though it seemed like my plans were unraveling right before my eyes. Things seemed off, I'll be honest, that entire year, but I continued to trust God and I continued to persevere. It was the year, a couple months after I got laid off, that I met Todd, and I didn't know where I was gonna go, but here we are, 18 years later. (laughs) It was the year I graduated from seminary, and at the time, I had no desire to be any type of pastor, but I did get a gig from the seminary to start teaching there, and I taught there for a couple of decades at New York Theological Seminary. It was that year. Still didn't have a full-time job when I was offered this particular position, but I continued to hang in there. The other thing that happened that year was, I was able to go to Kenya, all expenses paid by the church where I was interning. They even gave me spending money. We stayed in Nairobi and the surrounding areas for two weeks, yeah. And then that year was the year that I started my formal advocacy work. I say formal because I always felt like, even from a kid, I was an advocate because I was always looking out for the underdog, right? Um so all those things happened as I look back I'm like oh lord while I didn't see it then I really believe that God was creating that beautiful mosaic out of what seemed to be despair So I ask you forefront again what keeps you up at night What makes you scream? What makes you want to holler? What are the issues that are of great concern to you? The ones that pain or worry you, those that make you feel like you're drowning because you are uncertain of the outcome. Maybe you can stay afloat by trusting that God can meet you right where you are. And God is able to meet you through worship, through a smile, through a hug, through that person who unexpectedly pays for your coffee or your lunch, that happened to me twice this week, once by a student and once by a staff. I'm standing in line and a student's in front of me and says, Vanita, what do you have for lunch? I'm like, peanut butter and tea. And he's like, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. (laughs) I got you. I got you. That lifted my spirit so much. Later on that week, I'm about to pay at the calf. Staff member, go. I have a night as lunch. I have a night as lunch. And these are the ways in my head God is winking at me. <laughs> and God is saying, I love you, girl. I got you. <laughs> through everything you're going through, yes. I have you. And here's a little something to remind you of that. We may not know what the future holds or how things will turn out. You may not know in your various situations, but like Peter, we can know in whom we believe and that the goodness of the Lord will prevail and God will take care of us. And it's going to be all right. (laughs) We're going to be all right. (laughs) We're going to be all right. Kendrick. Lamar, someone (laughs) me. We can cry out for God to save us and believe that she will give us salvation through her peace and joy, even when it seems our plans have fallen apart. That's good news. And you know, I have some more good news. God will take care of you through every day all of the way she will take care of you Jesus Walking on the Water, a sermon sarcastic and serious by Reverend Nadia Bolsweber. She says these words, we might see the moral of the story as you should have so much faith that you can walk on water toward Jesus. But the truth of this story is that Jesus walks towards us. The truth of the story is that my abundance of faith, or lack of faith, does not deter God from drawing close. That even if you are scared to death, you can say, Lord, save me, and the hands of God will find you even in the darkest waters. Because this is a story, not of heroes of the faith making their way to Christ, but of Christ drawing near to you in the midst of fear. Reverend Liesl Gwen Garrity is the founder and creator of Sanctified Art. And she created this piece. And she goes on to say, what I find in Peter's response is not a challenge or a profession of doubt, but a willingness to step into the swell, like a trust fall into the unknown. Perhaps in seasons when our sense of uncertainty and security unravels, our desperation is more likely to convert into courage. Is there something about unraveling that makes us a bit less risk adverse, a bit more willing to try what we wouldn't have dared when everything felt predictable and sure? Imagine this same scene with no storm, no raging seas, no ghostly glimpse of Jesus skimming the surface. Would Peter have stepped in? Would he have expanded his definition of what's possible? Would he have experienced the divine so surprisingly, so surely? Would you step in? Would you step in? I'd invite the worship team to come up at this time. And I want to encourage us that we are not alone, even if we decide to step in. Please know that your fellow forefronters are with you, and certainly God is with you. I'd like to close this sermon with a prayer from our Disruption Series, and it's a prayer of confession. Let us pray. God of the wind and sea, you invite us to be brave, but we are more familiar with fear. You invite us to trust you, but we rather trust wind and gravity. You invite us to believe in ourselves, but we've never been good at that. You invite us to move, to change, and to take a risk, but we stay planted where we are, afraid of the ways growth might hurt. Forgive us for our self-doubt and fear. We believe despite our unbelief. And the people of God said, amen, amen. At this time, uh, we're preparing to celebrate communion. If you're joining us online, uh, we encourage you to gather whatever you have to eat and drink. Uh, For those of us here at the roulette, we have a little chalice that is alcohol-free, so Um, Our children can partake and anyone else can partake. And then we have gluten-free wafers. Uh, If you'd like someone to come to you to bring you a chalice, um, simply raise your hand and we will uh, bring one to you. Um, Our communion table is open at this time. All are welcome to come.